Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the big weekend and welcome to the big lead sports media awards for 2022. The day is finally here. We circled on the calendar all year, like a rival 364 days. We prep for this one long, cold winters, hot, steamy summers, gray falls. Boom. The holidays are on the corner and it is time. Finally, to honor the best in sports media as a niche blog. This is our corner and we seek to own it. With me today is the entire crew. I'm going to start talking to Ryan Phillips, who has been our point guard for this project. Ryan, can you believe that we made it? I, you know, some days I thought we would. Uh, it, this is, you know, this represents a lot of months of work for us and we do take it very seriously. And and, uh, you know, it's my, I think my third year helming the project and every year it gets more detailed and more uh, uh, difficult, you know, in a good way, really, because we, we try and do more with it. And, um, you know, it, it's always a fun day every year, but it's also a big relief to, to get it out there because we've been working on it for so long. So it's, it's a great day for, for the site always. And, uh, and, and we're happy for everybody to read it and to give us their opinions and feedback. You know, what I think is interesting, too, is much like the Constitution, this is a living document. We start six months out and we have initial ideas of who might be the nominees, who might ultimately walk away with the non-existent hardware. But that changes. In a lot of ways, sports media is like a stock market. People go up, people go down, they stand out in different ways. The field changes. And honestly, I think that for me, it's just fun to kind of constantly monitor it. And I think that this North star kind of makes us pay attention to everything. Well, I remember uh, this year, our, our first meeting on this was actually in person in Chicago. First time we'd been in person together in a couple of years and uh, because of the pandemic and, and everything else. And we actually, you actually, you said something about it being a stock watch and like stock up, stock down. And, and that is, that is kind of how we monitor it throughout the year. We get a group of people uh, for each of these awards, typically we kind of like, well, this guy's, this person's had a pretty good year, this person, this person. So we kind of just outline a number of people and, and obviously other people can come in from the outside of that. And we just kind of monitor what they're doing during the year and, and what we think of them and, you know, how much we wind up writing about them is we do so much sports media coverage. I mean, if we're writing about you a lot, it typically means you're having a meaningful, successful year. And a lot of those people wind up, wind up with awards. You know, and this is my favorite thing that we do for the reason that, honestly, everything that we put on our site comes from a place of admiration and respect. I know that there's a lot of jokes. Um, we have our laughs. We poke fun at these people. But really, I think that we all, at the end of the day, recognize that there are so many unbelievably skilled people doing great work. And what's interesting is when you're lucky enough to get in contact with these people, they don't hear it enough. Um, you would think that these people are constantly showered with praise. 
Um, but I think that the recognition means something because we really try to discern exactly who is the most worthy. Let's kick it off with Sports Writer of the Year. Do you want to list through the nominees and tell us who ultimately won? So this year uh, uh, we had Peter King. I thought he had an excellent year of writing. Uh, Tyler Tynes, who won it last year, was was great again this year. And, and he actually just moved to the Los Angeles Times from, from GQ, where he's done a lot of great work. Brendan Quinn of The Athletic. And then Nicole Auerbach of The Athletic are our nominees. And quite frankly, I... I think this is a really difficult category and and there are so many phenomenal writers out there i think that peter king writing deep into the night is something that i've always appreciated like if anybody could stop and rest on their laurels it's him but i think that he's just addicted to the grind maybe it's all the pete's coffee coursing through his system brendan quinn is a personal favorite of mine he is just unbelievable tackling college basketball and also golf like his ability to find unique angles and write poetically and just let his prose soar is really awesome yeah and tyler times has great features and has all year and, and he did some last year and he, i thought he was overwhelmingly the winner last year and this year again he just kept up some great great work and he's a fun, just a phenomenal writer the way he puts it together and Nicole Auerbach is, is, has been there and doing it for so long with college sports. And, and so, again, just a, a loaded field of nominees. Do you want to do the honors and reveal the first winner in what's going to be a long podcast? Yeah, it's uh, for me, it was the uh, we, we put it, put our heads together, and, and uh, it was Nicole Auerbach. And, and I think that what separates her, everybody on this list is a, is a great writer. And there are so many great writers we could even nominate because because the bench is so deep but what she what separates her for me is her versatility and she can do every type of writing and she did it this year from uh, reporting hard news to columns to amazing feature work that she did and, and in the in the in the the post for it I list some features that I think everybody should go check out uh, she's she's been doing it for a long time you know, with USA Today, she was fantastic. And she moved to the Athletic in 2017. And she's just consistently been one of the best writers in sports, you know, in the sports writing landscape. And and just continued that this year again and maybe even stepped up her game a little bit. She was very – she was writing vital pieces on the Big Ten's uh, expansion and media rights deal, you know, USC and UCLA coming in and what that meant. And then also what the, the new media rights deal for the Big Ten, how are they going to compete with the SEC and other conferences. Um just really, really interesting stuff. And, and she just does it so well. She's such a talented writer. Our Lifetime Achievement Award goes to a worthy recipient in Dick Vitale. This one is personal to me. I was lucky enough to be in communication with the ESPN standout as he fought against many health battles throughout the year. He was ironically, cruelly robbed of his voice. It sidelined him, thankfully. He is back where he belongs, sitting courtside at college basketball games, bringing that level of excitement that we've all come to grow and love. The thing about Vitale is it seems like he's putting on an act, but he's not. He's completely genuine. He's the same person off air as he is on air. Everybody who comes in contact with him walks away saying, wow, he really is that guy. He has dedicated his life to battling against pediatric cancer and raising money and seeking to find a cure. And I think there's no one who's a better flag bearer for the issue because he has limitless energy. Even as he was 
sidelined in a hospital bed. He was still working the phones, sending text out, trying to fundraise. He has an almost universal approval rating. And Dick Vitale, the person, is awesome, baby, to steal one of his lines. But Dick Vitale, the broadcaster, is also someone who I underappreciated for many years. I think maybe that's reflective of kind of what everybody was. It was Dick Vitale. He was this larger-than-life figure on your television, and maybe it got a bit grating, and it, it was too much at times. But I think as time has gone on, he has merged into that comfort zone where you're just excited to hear him on the call. He's youthful. It's funny. He's 82 years old now, but it seems like he's just a college kid out there. He has opinions that sometimes don't match the mainstream, but he's passionate in them and he really believes them. And I think more than anything, Dick Vitale is a true original. He's not afraid to be himself. He's oft imitated, but never replicated. And this year was a triumph for him because we saw the outpouring of support that came from all corners of the globe, not just the college basketball world. And I think that he knows deep down this struggle really crystallized for him just what he means to people. And I know that he was overwhelmed by it. So Dick, I know that the big lead lifetime achievement award is probably not the highest honor you'll ever get in your life, but it is one that is bestowed with a great appreciation and admiration for everything that you've done through the years and will continue to do in the future. Okay. After the break, we're going to welcome in the entire big lead editorial team into the call. And we're going to tick through every single one of our selections. It promises to be a riveting conversation if you like fake awards. So stick around. We'll be right back. You'll hear Liam McCune, Stephen Douglas, Ryan Phillips, and myself diving deep into the 2022 Big Lead Sports Media Awards. Best Studio Host. It is not an easy job being flanked by hot takers. Oftentimes you have to move your ego to the side and let other people shine. You cannot make any mistakes. You have to be a traffic cop. We have an interesting field of nominees this year. Let's start first with Kyle Brandt of Good Morning Football. I know that he is very well liked. He is more of a pundit than a host, but I think we would all agree that he kind of leads that show with his dynamism and his personality. Yeah, I think it's just manic energy in a, in a very positive and focused way. I think if you look at that show, Kyle, he's the sort of planet that everything orbits around. And uh, I, I think that that he's uh, excellent at what he does. He's really broken out and, and does more of his sort of solo stuff too uh, in, in the studio with those Buffalo Bills things that he does, the movie, you know, scene recreations, all that. It, he's really sort of developed into uh, the star of that show over the past, you know, I'd say two, three years. And I thought he had a great year this year. Yeah, it's been interesting as he's kind of branched out and do it, done a lot of other stuff, but this remains his lodestar, remains the thing that he's most known for. Molly Kiram is the next nominee, probably has the highest profile position here because it's next to Stephen A. Smith in the biggest punditry show 
out there? Well, if you have to keep Stephen A. Smith on track every day for a job, you get an automatic nomination here. But what really impresses me personally about Molly is consistency. I mean, first take has been on the air for a long time. It's been Stephen A. Smith. You know, he's been featured that entire time. And then, you know, there have been a rotating cast of people across from him. Molly has stayed. Molly has made sure that the trains run on time. She ensures that everybody gets their turn, which I think might be the trickiest aspect of moderating a Stephen A. Smith-led debate show. And every day she does delivers. She delivers. She makes sure that the segments run smoothly. She makes sure every single talking point is hit. And then, as we've all seen, uh, last two to three years have presented more speed bumps on first take, broadly speaking, than perhaps in the past. I think she's navigated those with grace and poise and uh, is definitely worth a nomination. Yeah, it's an interesting power dynamic. Sometimes it can be messy, but I do think that we all appreciate that she stands up for herself and holds her own. And those moments when she's going back at Stephen A in an honest way, I think are some of the most interesting that that show has to offer. The next nominee is Ernie Johnson. No surprise there. Inside the NBA, he is a stalwart guest on our podcast. We appreciate that. What is there to say, Stephen, about Ernie Johnson that hasn't been said before? Uh, not much. And that's probably why he's not the winner. I mean, it's inside the NBA fatigue. The show has been so good for so long. And Ernie Johnson is the one steering the ship with like with two of the biggest personalities in uh, sports media and Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. And another one of the best guys in the business, Kenny Smith. And every year inside the NBA is so good. And every year it's Ernie Johnson at the uh, forefront of the show. So another stellar season from him and hopefully many more to come. I think that he gets lost in the shuffle. I think that he's kind of uniquely suited to move that show along because you do have such big personalities and he is by nature kind of reserved. But I think that that works as a benefit because it amplifies others but also he's really strong in his ability to speak authoritatively because he's been with that show since the very beginning, does most of the heavy lifting. Our final nominee is Joy Taylor. Interesting year for her. Um, she was co-hosting on The Herd with Colin Coward. Now she is on Speak on FS1, which I have to say is a really good show. And I thought that her presence at that desk amplified Coward she was really good in her ability to not just tee them up for topics, but to weigh in them, weigh in on them herself. And in speak, she's continued to do the same thing. I feel like I kind of always saw this in her, but it's really been a fantastic year watching her accelerate her climb. Yeah, I think Joy has has really had a huge year, and and. It, her she was really perfect for that role with Cowherd because it gave him somebody to bounce off of and, and sometimes those solo radio shows can get kind of bogged down when the host loses something or doesn't have somebody to relate to and and you've seen Cowherd pick co-hosts who can really do that and I thought Joy uh really peaked there and and was so good that they had to give her 
you know, a, a, another place to go. And, and I think she's been really good at, at, at her new venue. And, and I think that she's elevated that show as well. And the winner is Molly Kiram. Liam, you wrote this one. Why did we go with Kiram? Well, I like I was talking before, I think Molly's been one of the best hosts in sports television for a while. But this year in particular really stood out because of all the change and the turmoil that first take went through. It's kind of crazy when you think about it. They dropped Max Kellerman and turned to a Stephen A. Smith slash rotating cast of guests format. Then they brought on Mad Dog Russo, one of the few men in the industry who can match Stephen A.'s volume of voice, much less his hot takery. And then Stephen A. Smith got COVID. She had to manage by herself and juggle a bunch of different analysts. Stephen A. Smith is the cornerstone of that show, along with Molly. And when you take one of them out, that becomes, the job becomes much, much trickier. So her ability to navigate the ship through those troubled waters was really tremendous, and I truly do think that one of the hardest jobs in the sports media may be moderating a discussion between Mad Dog and Stephen A. They are two peas in a pod insofar as their desire to talk over one another to ensure that their point gets across. Molly is the one who has to make sure that each gets their turn to speak, that each point is actually made, and that each topic is discussed. I think that she did all of that with the backdrop of all the cha big changes and various uh, hurdles that the show had to follow. It's just been really impressive work. You talk about athletes like value over replacement. And I think that she has a high value over replacement because you've shuffled someone else into this role and it probably creates a different show when it's mad dog, when it's Stephen a, you do have to kind of bite your tongue, even when you don't want to, even when you have something to say, like their force of personalities, largely they can do the show themselves, but there has to be some sort of guardrails on there because otherwise they would be going on these prolonged diatribes that would have no end in sight. I think that this is a really good and deserved honor for her. Best reaction, three nominees, JJ Reddick, on Mad Dog Russo talking about Bob Cousy. This was a first take gem. It really signified Reddick's arrival at this place on ESPN. He was rewarded with a contract. We see him as a rising star. It was really the perfect confluence of television, old school versus new school. A little something there for everyone. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite moments of the year, quite frankly. Um where, you know, Reddick is basically saying, I don't remember what exactly he said, but he's basically saying, yeah, Bob Cousy was playing as cab driver. Just like, you know, or, or so, I don't remember what, what he used, but it was uh, really a crazy moment. I think announced J.J. Reddick sort of um, establishing him as a real presence on these shows because he was willing to go at this guy, Mad Dog, that, you know, Chris Russo is a guy that a lot of people revere in the industry, uh, even if they think he's a bit nutty. And Reddick had no problem going right at it you know it's one thing when Stephen A. Smith goes at Russo but Reddick was new to the industry new to his role and he had no problem using his authority as a basketball player to go after uh to go after uh, uh, Mad Dog in that moment and it was great he fired right back at him he couldn't believe what he was hearing and uh it, it was a great moment this year and I know we wrote about it Stephen A. Smith jumps up again there's that man again walking off set after an unusual 
prediction. Man, that move, the walk offset, that's undefeated. That'll get you plaudits anytime. He truly does have a flair for the dramatic that is perhaps not unmatched, but pretty close to it in the industry. And it really hit the mark when he because he was debating Mad Dog Russo. And the topic was, of course, the Dallas Cowboys. It was, uh, you know, you don't expect to laugh very often watching first take. And it was an unexpected move that resonated in the minds and hearts of viewers everywhere who probably wanted to walk out of their living room upon hearing what was said on television. Uh, that's where you and I differ. I, I do expect to laugh watching first take. Uh, it is the best medicine after actual medicine. And our winner, Monica McNutt, surrounding and LeBron James potential trade. Oh, how silly we were before the Lakers got off to this horrible, horrible start. Uh, yeah, this is actually the reaction that inspired the entire category. Uh, I remember seeing this clip and watching Monica McNutt squirm in her chair was amazing. Uh, it doesn't matter that in the end, uh, the people who were on set saying that the Lakers should probably trade LeBron James and Mike Greenberg saying he didn't see uh, them ever winning another championship was uh, actually right. No, because it was so funny to watch her. Uh, watching her react to uh, Alan Hahn from MSG in ESPN and just she started squirming in her chair. She started giving Jay Williams looks. Uh, as if, are, are you listening to this as well? And as it progressed and uh, Han was talking and Greenberg were talking, uh, the camera just naturally went to her. The producers kept it on her to the point where other people were talking, they're showing a highlight, and they've got her in a small box on the screen because she was just having the funniest reactions. And it's it's a art that we don't talk about enough and just... Because there's so many people, everybody has to give a take. And if you're fighting for screen time and if you're not talking, you have to be doing something like this to wrestle the attention away from from the uh, person who you disagree with. And she just gave a master class and it was fun to watch. And that's why she's the winner. I think that these off-camera reactions have become more on-camera reactions in recent years. I think that there's an element where people know that they're performing. This one actually seemed genuine, which is the difference. Uh, I don't think she was going for a viral moment. I don't think she was going to be a meme. It was just a great happenstance. The Independent Media Award. We have one nominee and one winner here, and it's Ethan Strauss, the former ESPN reporter, rose to prominence covering the Golden State Warriors, the NBA, left to much fanfare, launched his own sub-stack. He's thick as thieves with our old colleague Ryan Glassbeagle. And the reason why he's the winner here, I'll be honest, I don't particularly agree with everything that he writes. Sometimes I find it to be quite maddening. Other times I think that he has a really good premise. But I think that we all agree that it's been really impressive that he's gone out there and he's shaped these conversations by not refusing to take aim at so-called sacred cows. He's really tough on the media. He's been really tough on Woj in particular. I think that he's 
nodded and alluded to a lot of the practices that go with being a newsbreaker, especially in that particular sense. And I think that it's refreshing to have people have an avenue where they can read commentary like that. I think, honestly, it's a cousin to what the big lead does. Um, he doesn't write as often as we do, but he's doing commentary where you're not approaching it as this person cannot be questioned. There's an element of fairness to it. And even if it's not your particular type of tea or you don't walk away convinced, I do, when I read him, find myself thinking about issues from a different angle, which is something that honestly, we've probably gotten too far away from. I appreciate the unique perspective that he brings. And I think that is key for independent media succeeding and which is why he's a deserving winner of this award. It's not very rare that you get a reporter who is so deep in the inner workings of an organization like ESPN and in the world of the NBA at large, who then decides to go off on his own and write big picture, not just about his own personal experiences, but with an analytical mind and really talking in terms of why things are, not how things are. And so it's like Kyle said, uh, there's some divisive opinions on him, and, and I don't agree with everything he says, and I don't think he wants you to. I don't think that's the point. The point is to open up a larger conversation, and he certainly does that very well. It's interesting that the idea of independent media has moved back around to essentially what we would call a blog. Um, it feels like everybody was looking to be part of a bigger entity years ago. Now it feels like it's shifting where having the editorial freedom to do what you really want and showcase your own personality is far more attractive. And for everybody who goes out and intends to do it, there's only a few that succeed. And I think the fact that he's still doing it, whenever an issue comes up, he's pretty ubiquitous in terms of landing himself, uh, doing other media interviews uh, and generating discussion from it. And I think that he's doing it in a way that will probably serve as a template for people going forward, um, maybe catering to one side of the aisle, but not doing it in a way that will completely turn everybody off. I think that there is a space in the middle um, that he and others are going to be able to exploit and thrive off of reaching. Best meme. And this is a big one. There's no drama here. You may have forgotten it, but let us jog your memory by saying one word, five letters, windy. That's right, Kyle. Brian Windhurst of ESPN.com and ESPN, the television network. Uh, he has been a great reporter that we've kind of watched grow up uh, right alongside LeBron James' rise from high schooler to what he is now. And now Windhorse is basically one of the biggest uh, NBA insiders there is. And he has transformed into a very entertaining podcast host, guest, and uh, studio presence. And when he was tipping us off to the Utah Jazz's big plans uh, last season, he just pointed to the sky and he did the why, why, now why is that? And made all the funny faces and it was immediately apparent that this was a meme that was going to stick around. 
Uh, people jumped all over it, and you still see it pop up whenever anyone does anything. You know, now, why is that? And it's just, it was an instant classic, and I don't even know if there was a close second this year. No, it was so singular, and what he did with it, too, is he laid the groundwork so well. I believe it was two minutes and 42 seconds, which is an unheard of block of time to speak kind of extemporaneously uh, where people don't know where you're going. I would love to know on the set how people reacted to that in real time. Obviously, we didn't have a Monica McNutt type reaction emblazed upon our screens, but it took him forever to land the plane. And even when he did, it was kind of this wink and nod at something potentially happening happening in the future, which ultimately merited out to be true. And that's another part that makes this even better, that this wasn't an exercise in creating good television. It was an exercise in creating this living document in this meme that was ultimately proven to be a step along the road to ultimately being right in what he was positing. Yeah, at the time, watching it live, you thought he was being overdramatic, um, but it just turns out he was just really trying to get people to listen. Just listen to me. I'm telling you something is happening. This is real. Pay attention. Read between the lines. This is a meme. It's going to be really hard, and we're probably going to lose some friends and allies along the way, but let's dangerously tread into the waters where we go around the box and compare this meme to the winner of last year, which was the Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka one. Gut reaction, Liam, who do you give the nod to? I give the nod to Bryson Brooks because I think that one had a little bit more staying power, but in terms of my own personal amusement, I love the windy one more. Ryan? You know, I'm also going to include from the year before the laughing Jordan uh, meme. I, it, honestly, those three are hall of they're in the hall of fame of sports Internet, you know, memes. Uh, I'm going to go with with Bryson and Brooks because I saw it more, I think. Uh, but Wendy is just it's so, so good. I just didn't think it had the staying power uh, of Brooks Kepka uh, reacting to Bryson. I I think it's pretty clearly windy, and I think the reason you guys saw Bryson and Brooks so much is because I was putting it in the chat probably four or five times a day. That is very true. <laughs> so I apologize for uh, putting my finger on the scale in that regard, but uh, I th I think windy has is going to have a longer shelf life. I think it's a little bit bigger already, and I personally I even though I did not use it as much. Um, I, I think it is the better, funnier, more memorable meme. I agree with Steven. I'm going to go with Wendy. Uh, it just feels timeless. I think that when those guys went over to live, I hate to say it, but it ruined it for me. It wasn't funny anymore. Life got in the way. Best television series. I can't believe I'm saying it. But Formula One, Drive to Survive, has been knocked off its throne. It is still a nominee. It's great. We'll get to the winner in a second. Others include, others up for consideration are Hard Knocks with the Detroit Lions when we were all riding high on optimism. What happened? Dan Campbell 
the captain, the Derek Jeter story, Players Tribune, what up? Um, kind of a hagiography, but people seem to like it. Finally, finally, Derek Jeter uh, got some press. I hadn't heard much about that guy. But the winner and a surprise upset, something that we went back and forth on a lot of times around here. Hold on to your seats. It's welcome to Wrexham. We were won over by the charms of Rob McElhaney and Ryan Reynolds and a plucky soccer team that could do it. Ryan, welcome to Wrexham. Welcome to a new era. Why? You know, I I, I really went back and forth. We, we went back and forth on this one. Formula One Drive to Survive had an amazing season. I think that's pretty clearly second place. But welcome to Wrexham just wins you over. I mean, it's 18 episodes about this small Welsh town and their small soccer team and just the passion of everyone involved, including McElhinney and, and Ryan Reynolds. I, I, it is just such a great story. And the thing I loved about it is it's not about a soccer team. It's about the town. And, and I think that's what wins you over. It's about the people in that town as much as it is about the soccer team. It's just so well done. And I just think it's one of those shows that stays with you. Um, you know, we all love Ted Lasso and, and, and people said, well, this is Ted Lasso in real life. It's really not because Ted Lasso was about the soccer team. And this is more about the town in, this, in a forgotten town in Wales that has kind of gotten, you know, the short end of the stick with everything. And their soccer team has kind of moved with the fortunes of the town. And it's about two guys from, you know, Hollywood trying to bring that back and bring the town back and bring the team back. And it's just a great, great show that I recommend to everybody I meet. And uh, so, you know, congrats to them for unseating what is a juggernaut Formula One drive to survive. I think for me, the thing that pushes it over the edge is it's a more complete program. It's not really a documentary. It's a more complete show. It is a documentary. You do go with these people as they grow. You do follow them as they face the myriad challenge that they face, but you just have two. So you just have two really affable people, right? You have people who are used to being on television and people who are good at being charming and their relationship and the way that they were able to thread the needle in terms of explaining what was going on to the layman without treating it as a sideshow, the way their ownership was appreciated and welcomed over there. Now we see that Wrexham games are actually being aired on ESPN in this experiment, though it hasn't really translated to the on-field ascension that maybe they would have hoped in their wildest dreams. The fruits of their labor are being laid out pretty clear. Um, we just got news the other day that Reynolds is potentially interested in buying the Ottawa Senators as well. I wonder, and it is open for discussion, if this is going to be like the template for people to do similar things like this in the future, yeah, maybe it's gimmicky, but I'll tell you what, you want to generate interest and immediately become a brand in sports. This is what does it. I think that makes a lot of sense, especially because it effectively acts as a small hedge for, you know, Rob and Ryan in that they bought the team. And if the team sucks and the ticket, pro the ticket sales aren't good and then, you know, they lose some money, at least they'll get the, cultural relevance aspect from the documentary as well as a little bit more cash in their pockets but I do want to say that I think it's going to be really hard to follow the blueprint in the way that you describe because this is 
upon, or this is on top of everything else, a very well-made documentary series. The people that they chose to focus on in the show have truly heart-wrenching stories that you would expect to be written in a writer's room with Rob and Ryan, but they're not. These are just average people who the crew, the documentary crew just found them. And not everybody has the will or the way to be able to tell good stories like that. So while there is now an open blueprint, I would say uh, others would be hard pressed to truly follow in their footsteps. It's like my favorite show of the year. Uh, everything is just so enjoyable in this show. The sports drama is real and uh, all the human interest stuff and the look behind the scenes and actually learning how like a professional sports franchise works. The only downside to the entire show is if you think about it, the icky feeling you should be getting because you're, you're rooting for owners and you're rooting for owners that have unlimited resources seemingly who are just like, it costs this much. All right, throw it at, let's go get the best players. And I mean, but I mean, as a fan, that's what you want your owners to be doing. So they're doing that, but getting past the the owner thing they're actually doing something good for the community they're they're taking an interest they are they're not trying to move the team uh they they put it against the backdrop of what happened with previous owners who were trying to do those bad things like move the team and turn the uh stadium into apartments or whatever uh just everything about this show is enjoyable it's so well done and it has me watching division five fifth tier English football on like a Saturday morning. And they're putting the games on ESPN. It, it's insane what this has done. Steve Martin was a prop comic. Best sports studio show. Our candidates were inside the NBA. What's to say about inside the NBA that hasn't been said before? By us, it's the great. It's 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 been the great, you know, sports studio show for for years. I think that everybody refers to, and I think it's the top competition every year that everybody has to beat. It's it's such a great show, and it's so well rounded with both comedy and you know heartfelt messages, and just such a well produced show that that's the one I think that everybody's aiming for every year to top. We also had first take because when you have Stephen A. Smith, the largest and most important voice in the space. It makes sense that it's going to be there every year. The inclusion of Mad Dog Russo, as we'll touch on many times in this podcast, I think was a was a major event, uh, seminal for the sports shouting space, which is, I thought it got a little stagnant. There's been some new life that's been breathed into it. MLB Tonight, which is wraparound programming almost every night of the Major League Baseball season is essentially the red zone for MLB, it's really good, and it's been awesome for a long time. I think for a baseball fan, it's kind of the one-stop shop if you wanted to follow the sport, but you don't want to watch all the games. It's kind of a cheat. You got you get analysis, and I think it's criminally underrated. But despite this crowded field, one victor emerged. It's the fun one. It's early in the morning. Good morning football on NFL Network. Yeah, uh, Good Morning Football is our winner this year. It is just kind of the ideal sports uh, studio show. 
they have all the advantages of being an NFL property. Um, they have access to all the footage. They get all the best guests, whoever they want. And But the most important part about Good Morning Football is their crew. Kyle Brandt, Peter Schrager, Jason McCory joined this year, and Jamie Erdahl uh, replaced Kay Adams. They had some big shoes to fill, and they did it pretty seamlessly. Probably the standout of the show is Kyle Brandt, who can do no wrong, really. Um, He can be very serious about any topic, as can the whole crew. But his comedy bits, uh, he's an actor playing a uh, football talking head. Good Morning Football has uh, great debates. They have uh, honest conversations. And it's the kind of thing that you almost wouldn't expect to uh, come from something that is owned by the NFL. They uh, are not, af- they do not pull any punches. They are not afraid to criticize any team or person in the league. And they kind of have that inside the NBA thing going, but in with their own spin. I think it's a real testament that the fact that they are so creatively engaged. And like you said, Stephen, you would think a drawback would be that it's a league property and they're going to soft pedal some issue. They're not going to delve into the things that are in the forefront of the conversation of it makes the league, players, coaches, anybody look bad. But they do the opposite and they lean into it and they've really tasked their talent with the ability and the freedom to say whatever they want. Um, I have had a pretty good relationship with that show and seeing them put together an episode. And really it's not just the talent, it's the producers and it's the care that they take. And they've established themselves, I think, as the best morning show. Even if you don't like football, there's a lot um, there to enjoy, which I think is is pretty incredible because you think the NFL, I think is the most staid and stagnant uh, property we have is, you know, you move NFL, blah, blah, blah. And it's the exact opposite of, what you would expect. And it gets better. Like you said, that huge turnover with Kay Adams, Jamie Erdell has stepped right in and they're constantly seeking out new voices, new bits. And they are not afraid to try anything either at the desk or on location. Uh, even in just as simple as uh, Schrager and Brandt putting on suits and going out onto Fifth Avenue and stalking back and forth doing the Wall Streeters. Uh, it's just an imaginative, uh, no fear show. Biggest sports media acquisition. We touched on Mad Dog coming back to first take. We have Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. Spoiler alert, we're going to delve into that a bit later in this episode. But the winner is a very confusing one. And this is the award, I think, that is going to generate the most discussion and confusion. Because it's Tom Brady, because it has to be Tom Brady. Uh, Fox bringing him back for an absurd amount of money whenever he's done playing. We don't know when that's going to be. As we record this, he seems to have shown signs of saving his season. But if he doesn't, there's thought that he will be in the booth for the Super Bowl alongside Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Liam, Tom Brady is one of the biggest names in sports. We think he's going to be good, but I think it's an open question whether he's going to serve his entire tenure for a decade, any of his tenure, because there's so much tumult and uncertainty 
revolving around both his football career and his off-field situation. Yeah, there are a lot of good points to be made on the front of whether this will end up being worth it or even if they'll even pay him a dollar, to be frank. I remember Joe Buck recently said on a podcast he knows there are people in the Fox building who think that Brady will never call it down for Fox. But ignoring all that, uh, when you take a step back, there is no bigger name that uh, could have possibly moved this offseason to a broadcasting booth. Obviously, the uh, athletes who transcend the realm of their sport are extremely rare. There are only a handful in the entire world. Tom Brady is one of those. And those kinds of people never go into broadcasting because it's a lot of work. And these people are usually pretty well set in uh, on their bank account in terms of personal fulfillment. Pick your poison. These people simply do not go to the booth. So. While you can certainly quibble over whether Tom Brady will be worth uh, the dollar amount that Fox signed him for, which has not been confirmed, but reports say upwards of $300 million, maybe no human being on earth is worth that much, but Tom Brady will accomplish what all broadcasting companies want to accomplish, which is people will tune into the game to hear what Tom Brady has to say. It's unclear how long that will last, and Tom Brady might be a bad broadcaster, but it is worth it to because Tom Brady, you slap his name on anything, whether it's a game, a project, a segment on a Fox Sports studio show, and its value increases tenfold, viewership will increase, and it's just hard to make an argument that anybody else is more valuable in broadcasting in theory. One notable exception there would be cryptocurrency, which I think is not an insignificant element to this story because his Q score has taken a hit over the past year through the divorce, through all that stuff. I, I think he's going to be a great broadcaster. I, I You've heard him speak enough that he's going to be able to do the job, especially considering some people who have stepped in where we weren't sure. I, I think you, you want a surefire bet. This is as good as it gets. Let's go around the horn here and set your own over under in terms of years Tom Brady is on the Fox call. I'm going to put mine at two and a half. I'm going to go. I'm going to go five. I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm going to go a little more than you, but less than the less than the amount planned. I think it's going to be about five years. He'll do it. Be in and out. We'll be in awe of him for one, and then I think that it'll kind of fade a little, and, and there'll be a little Tony Romo effect there. Uh, I would go one and a half. Um, I think he's got one more year in him. He came back this year and it kind of appears to have torn his uh, entire life apart. Um, I think he still obviously has that competitiveness in him. And he's kind of had a rude awakening both on and off the field this season. And if some of the rumors are true, he might need that paycheck soon. I would put it at three personally. I think that uh, he will end up in the booth. And if Tom Brady's going to do something, he's really going to do it. So I think he's going to go in there for year one. Like Ryan said, everybody's going to, you know, appreciate the fact that he's probably better than your average rookie broadcaster. And there's still a certain, you know, shininess to the fact that Tom Brady will be in a booth speaking to American households all over the country. Years two and three loses its luster a little bit. He gets sick of either the workload or the criticism that comes along with being a broadcaster because any slight misstep gets jumped on and noticed. 
And then after that, I think it, it becomes a possibility that he bails. It's very hard to see Tom Brady loving this so much that he becomes a lifelong broadcaster. I think three is probably the right number for he gave it enough of a try. And then after that, anything could happen. New category for us this year, best sports blogger near and dear to our hearts. The winner, Charlotte Wilder. Maybe not the pure definition of a blogger that we've understood for so many years, but as the media landscape changes, I think she qualifies, we think she qualifies as Fox Sports has redoubled its efforts in the digital space. I absolutely agree, Kyle. And like you said, this is a category near and dear to our hearts. Blogging is at the core of what the big lead has been and is right now. And I think Charlotte absolutely does enough blogging to qualify. She, my personal biased opinion is that her uh, homerism blogs about Boston sports are a key aspect to any quality blogger. You have to be able to speak with a bias because that makes things more fun for everybody. But she is also capable of taking a step back, writing about things objectively, writing about the big topics in sports right now. And more importantly, she does a lot of different stuff for them. She went to the Westminster Dog Show, created a lot of digital content for Fox, and then created a lot of blogs uh, as a result of that. She does deep dive investigations, like when she published a very excellent long form article about Tom Brady's social media strategy, which is an object of much interest and curiosity for people who live in New England, for sure, but also in the broader space. I think that Charlotte you know, like you said, maybe not the true traditional sense of a blogger, but in today's day and age, there is no more value to a blogger than versatility. And Charlotte has displayed that in many, many ways over the course of this year. It's nice to see Boston finally represented in sports media and especially in the blogging space. I think what stands out to me is that she has a conversational style. Like she's not trying to talk down to the reader. She's trying to have it be a two-way street. She's trying to make it as accessible as possible. And I think her earnestness too, with the college football road trip she's been on for a couple of years is really refreshing because, you know, blogging at times is so acidic and sharp tongued and she can do that. She can make jokes. She's humorous like that. But I think that there's a real sentimentality that is appreciated. And I just, every time she publishes something, I look forward to reading it and she, I, like I, she approaches it with, you know, so many people who have become on-air talents or whatever kind of throw writing to the side. And I think that she approaches the job through the pen first and it makes her video stuff even better. Insider of the year. First, we should say this was the year of the insider. Everybody got a big fat contract and it's a good thing they did as we sit here with Twitter about to die, potentially. I don't know if they're going to be getting the same paychecks, if their value is going to remain the same after we have that real-time metric to see who got it correct first. Adam Schefter, he took his shirt off, hit the NFL, had another weird year. Uh, anybody want to just give me a minute on what Schefter has turned into over the last year? A cartoon character? I, you know, I, I think that that's, he's kind of, um, you know, he's gotten caught a couple of times sort of uh, clearly getting something directly from an agent and retweeting it and whatever. But the thing is, no matter how goofy or, or weird this gets with Schefter, 
he's still the only source, you know, the, the main source to go to for NFL breaking news. As, as much as we would want to say, you know, it's getting a little strange, Adam. Maybe you rein it in with your social media personality. There's nowhere else to go that's as consistently right as he is and it's consistently quick as he is uh, with the news. And, and so you have to put him as a nominee this year, regardless of, of how kind of strange some of the things got. He is the go-to for for uh, breaking NFL news. Brian Windhorst got in on the strength of his memeable moment, which was proven to be correct alongside other NBA heavyweights like Woj and Shams. Where do we think the battle between Woj and Shams stands right now? Uh, I think Woj still, I mean, it's still a Woj mom. The entire, this entire part of the industry is kind of based on him. Uh, Shams is probably just as good. It's just not as fun to say Shams mom. But I mean, they're very close and... um, now these two these two are very close and they're seconds apart um like if you're keeping score during like the NBA draft uh it's just a matter of who wants to get wordier with their tweets and who gets to break the news first sometimes so it's just a all out battle for here and forever between those two I agree. Woj has the larger television presence with everything that he does. He's also been the subject of a lot more scrutiny as people have tried to chip away at the empire he's built and present Shams as kind of the white knight riding in who does it the right way. That is more player friendly and less management um, adjacent. But our winner this year, baseball, baby. We got Jeff Passan, the Elmo voice guy, the person who's not afraid to stick his finger in the mousetrap in Twitter, a really engaging personality and an interesting guy all around. But what did he do in terms of news breaking this year, Ryan, that elevated him to win this prestigious award, which he will not place on his mantle? Uh, This was, he had the biggest story of his career and quite frankly, probably the biggest story of the year, which is baseball actually coming to a deal and having a season. And he was the guy who had all of the information behind the scenes. You saw Bob Nightingale jump in a little bit, but you didn't believe it until Passon said it. And uh, I think the the maybe what makes this even better is how smoothly he handled on the biggest day of his career, likely where he's going to break the story that the first lockout in decades has been ended. His Twitter account gets hacked and is, you know, like trying to sell NFTs with with uh, with his account while he's locked out again as we're counting down to Major League Baseball and the Players Association coming to a deal and and passing in his typical way of handling this kind of stuff you know issues this tweet breaking Major League Baseball and the Players Association have reached a deal and then it says baseball is back and then the next follow up tweet is and so am I and the next tweet is also got some sweet NFTs if anybody is interested you know I mean he just he rolls with those punches. He's funny. I, I think maybe the fact that he actually has a, per, you know, he's an insider who actually has a personality on Twitter and he'll engage with readers. He'll call them idiots, you know, and and, and roast people and all that. That makes him engaging. And so it, it almost highlights just how good an actual breaking news journalist he is, that he also has this personality that he can kind of go into reporter mode. And then beyond social media, having fun with it, it makes him so much more fun to follow, so much more interesting to follow. And the guy breaks 
every major, you know, it feels like every major piece of, of Major League Baseball news. And he certainly had the big one this year. He's the most versatile, like you mentioned. He's written some amazing profiles. Yeah. Um, he has that tool in his bag, which a lot of these insiders don't, I would say Woj does, uh, he's just not asked to do it as much, but it really stands out that he can be that Swiss army knife. And it's interesting too, when you say about having that personality, it's almost like the position of an insider has been reduced to just being the first to market. But I think that that is not looking at the big picture in terms of adding value to a company because you want them to be able to weigh in. I think, and I would say that Woj is a close second here because he is also good when they're doing NBA stuff and they use them across all their platforms. Best podcast. We have a changing of the guard. Part of my take is not a three-peat winner, although they were still good. Dan Katz, Big Cat, very funny. PFT, awesome. We enjoy it. The interviews are high quality. Uh, we wanted to mix it up a bit. We also mentioned Titus and Tate. Dan Lebetard's show with Stugatz, who went off on their own a few years ago, their second year. They've seen their empire expand with a lot of different shows. They're putting out a tremendous amount of content. Some would argue too much. Um, and perhaps that has diluted the product just a little bit. But the winner here, someone else who is not going to get too excited about this, is Ryan Rosillo. And I would push hard for this one because Rosillo to me has merged what was great about sports radio, a form that has really kind of died on the vine over the last few years and brought it to the podcast space. Every episode, he has a monologue that would be a, a block, an opening of a radio show. His interviews are really insightful. He does the work. He has a personality. I don't agree with him 20% of the time, and he infuriates me 10% of the time. And he has these ticks that stick under my skin a little bit, and I want to pick him apart. But what I sit back and realize is that that's what makes a great podcaster. Like it shouldn't be you tune in and you're just like completely on board. He does the work more than anybody, I think, in this industry. And he's spoken about it so many times. He's not afraid of sticking out his own claim of zigging when everybody else is zagging. He has smartly figured out a way to incorporate the audience into his show with his life advice segments, which are really good. I would point out that I think he has the largest viewership. He has the largest listenership. And I don't mean by size, although I think that he's number two. I'm talking by actual girth and height. I think about everybody who writes in is six foot three and 240 pounds. There's a, there's a lot of meatheads that listen to that show, but he steers into it. He is who he is. I wish I could hear him more than three times a week. I think the fact that he does three episodes a week and they're all high quality is, is pretty impressive really in the podcast podcasting space. But it just reminds me every time I listen in that I, I miss him five times a week with Rosillo, even when he was with Canel, I think that he and Adnan Verk is long been my theory that they could have the best sports radio show in the country. So maybe sometime down the road, if the screenwriting doesn't work out, if it works out so well that he can fund his own paycheck, maybe we'll get that 
But congratulations to Ryan Rosillo for knocking off Pardon My Take. Uh, maybe that sparks uh, a hot rivalry between those two, uh, and we can get some more content out of it. That's kind of what we were thinking. We are shameless around here. Speaking of radio, they're still making radio shows. Some of the best ones we listened to this year were the Pat McAfee show. And McAfee, it needs to be said that this is just one part of his huge empire but the thing that stands out to me is the energy and his relationship with not just Aaron Rodgers, but people who are going to come on and say things that they might not typically have said six years ago on a big ESPN or Fox Sports radio platform. Yeah, McAvee's show is changing the game for that kind of thing. And and it, I feel like everybody's trying to keep up by by changing their interview styles, changing the kinds of guests they have on. I feel like he's done a really good job of you know sort of uh, uh, connecting with people on that level not just the audience a lot of people try and connect their audience he connects with his guests in a in a, in a different way and uh you know he's our winner of this this award last year and they had another great year this year shine on sports i love this guy he just puts on a sports show and he comes every single day excited to talk about everything that happened the night before he works his ass off. I am the ultimate respect in terms of just putting forth an old school show, the way you say they don't make him like this anymore. He makes him like this anymore. And I love that he is being recognized um, more and more as Trump would say, you have to wake up pretty early in the morning to win this award to beat one Colin Cowherd, he of volume sports, he of being in especially good moods, he of red wave predicting. He's just the best at doing what he does. And the thing is, it's a solo show 90% of the time. And to be able to do that is so incredible and so impressive. He has not lost his fastball. He's out there doing his shows three times as often as the big names from ESPN are doing their shows. And I think you got to give credit that he's been able to be malleable and shift on a dime to whatever's happening that day and approach it and bring it to the audience in a unique way, often through allegory, often through simile. Sometimes they don't land, but I just have the ultimate respect for him trying to do what he does. Yeah. Coward is he's sort of like the last of a dying breed of these national sports shows, radio shows that drive conversation still to this day. And the thing that I think is really interesting with him is he really hasn't changed what he's done for years. He, you know, he's the the man could find a metaphor anywhere and put together, he puts together these longer, you know, sort of comparison things about how you know, Tom Brady is Swiss cheese and Aaron Rodgers is cheddar cheese. And, you know, it's, I don't know, he'll come up with something. He always has something. And the creative well never runs dry with this guy. And, you know, he had a, had a, a, a change to his show this year with Joey Taylor moving on to, to host speak. And he brought in Jason McIntyre who founded this site. And uh, the show just doesn't miss a beat. It's all about Cowherd and, and the, the co-hosts are great and they add something, but this is him, you know, just constantly delivering uh, and ch- and driving the conversation. And I mean, you can just see it by how often we talk about him on our site, how important he is to sports media and, and love him or hate him or like his style or dislike it. Uh, 
there's there's just something he does every year and and every show that that makes you feel like this is still the guy doing school sports radio way uh, on the highest level and and I, those well crafted bits he does really stand out and and I'll say this there's nobody who likes being right more than Colin Coward and he will gloat for months after after getting one point right and you have to respect it because he definitely puts in the work to get there. He's not as skilled of an orator or as dynamic of a presenter as Stephen A. Smith, but I think his approach to presenting the information uh, through an editorial fashion is unmatched in the industry. Best newcomer. We had some new people show up on our TV and internet this year. Very exciting to get to know them. Draymond Green um, launched a podcast with Colin Coward, who we just mentioned. Uh, he also punched a teammate. He's Mr. New Media. Uh, polarizing figure, but uh, one thing to be said about him is he's not boring. That's very true. Draymond, I think, this past year was at his best when he was making podcasts directly after NBA Finals games and explaining certain aspects of the game for fans that want to get a deeper look into it, which was extremely interesting and essentially unheard of. Uh, it's when he got outside that area and started wars with old media and then had his own personal issues that ended up kind of knocking him out of the minds of people who appreciated his new approach to media. But it does make one hope that it, uh, Draymond's approach to kind of how he presents the inside life and the mind and the knowledge of an NBA player. It will help set a trend for future guys who want to go into the industry because when Draymond really gets rolling about stuff that we as viewers could never have any hope of possibly understanding, that's when things get really, really good. CJ McCollum was an also was also a nominee. He's just smart. He's a very intelligent person, and that comes across in droves when you listen to him. Uh, I think when he's done playing, he'll have an even bigger role at ESPN. I would expect him to be part of their coverage for decades to come. So print that out for old takes exposed. And then Hannah Kaiser, who was on the Apple TV broadcast of Major League Baseball, was really good as Apple tried a lot of different things on those Friday night broadcasts, met with a lot of resistance. But if you put the energy into watching and went in with an open mind. I thought that her perspective was excellent. You can't undervalue how nice it is to have a female voice being able to opine about these things, because I know that Jess Mendoza does it for ESPN, but primarily it's usually a play-by-play -play person to be able to have her bring her unique taste also honed through blogging uh, and being able to do a lot of different things. I thought made those broadcast stand out and I thought she was incredible value added but our winner is the sweet shooting much hated three-point artist out of Duke JJ Reddick longtime podcaster first time television presence ESPN has already rewarded him with a new contract and they're going to be building a lot of things around him Stephen what did you see from JJ this year well, he started podcasting a few years ago with Yahoo, but it wasn't until he launched the Old Man and the Three during the NBA bubble that he really kind of blew up. Uh, he used that to get access to to just sit down with a lot of uh, different players who were right there 
And then when he retired, he joined ESPN. His podcast continued to grow and he started coming up. He started going on TV. They brought him on to be a basketball analyst and they ended up with somebody who can go on pretty much any show and do really well. Uh, he's had some incredible moments on live television, uh, especially yelling at uh, Mad Dog about old uh, Bob Cousy. He's he's just very good with Stephen A. Smith. He's not he's not going to back down to anybody, and it's really a fascinating rise to uh, become such a. I don't know if beloved is the the right word for uh, his TV personality, but to come so far from being probably one of the most hated players ever at Duke to now being such a popular media guy, uh, he's really good on TV. He's fun to watch, and he gets great stuff on all his interviews and maybe it's just the wine. I don't know. Best in-game analyst. Jeff Van Gundy won last year. He could have won again. We decided to do something different. He's magnificent. He treats the game like a podcast. Bill Raftery is that comfort food you put on in his eighties, still as good as ever. Jay Billis, Ryan, I know a personal favorite of yours. You want to talk a little bit about what he brings to the college basketball game? Yeah, I, I just think it's another perspective. He's not afraid to criticize the NCAA when he's covering an NCAA product, but also just incredibly smart analysis. I mean, he's the best college basketball guy, a, a analyst, you know, and, and has been for a long time. And, and whether it's in a studio setting, on you know, a, one of those wraparound sets or whether he is in game analyzing things. There's a reason he's ESPN's top guy and has been for a long time. So uh, I just think that he's consistently brings it. He's one of those guys who's always at the top of his game. And I think you kind of forget about it because he's so good. You almost forget just how good he is and how consistent he can be. We wanted to diversify a little bit in terms of sports. So he put Stu Holden from ESPN. We all have world cup fever here. We'll see how long that lasts. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, that fever will have uh, subsided. But our winner this year, this was a contentious choice. I felt like there wasn't an easy one. But we went with Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, he's sliding in. Uh, apparently the Collinsworth slide is, 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 is done, but it works on this award. Um, yeah, this is his 14th season of, of Sunday Night Football, and the first without Al Michaels. And he hasn't missed a beat. And I, and I think that a lot of us thought that would be awkward. And, and certainly, you know, working with a new partner after so long has to be difficult. But he's made it work. And, and Collinsworth has always been able to toe that line of, you know, injecting humor into broadcast while also giving great analysis and being in awe just of the physicality he's seeing on the field and all that. Uh, but he's really been fantastic this year. I think it stood out because he doesn't have Al Michaels next to him. And and not that Mike Tirico is is a bad broadcaster or anything, but it's just you have such a veteran next to you for so long, and then it changes, and then you still manage to be really good at your job. And I think just he's certainly proven himself over the years, but I think this year really stood out that he's got a new partner and he's still just chugging right along. Well, part of that is listening to the Michaels – Kirk Herbstreet, Amazon product, which I think that we're all a little bit underwhelmed by. He's so much better than Herbie. And Herbie is so good in college football, but he's trying to do too much. He's stretched a little thin. And I think for me, I thought that Collinsworth always carried those Sunday night broadcasts. And I think that Michaels is incredible and they worked so well together. But I thought, 
I think that the ability for him to do different things, Troy Aikman has the gravitas and he is fantastic in his own right, but Collinsworth can do more things. He can be funny. Like you said, he can be aw shucks and Aikman seems super serious almost all the time that you don't get that light touch when the moment calls for it. I think big picture though, when you look at this category, it feels a bit weaker for whatever reason than it did in previous years. Does anybody agree or disagree with that take? I think it's getting harder to stand out on the broadcast. I really do. Um, Especially with as much as people are, especially for football, people are watching red zone. They're maybe not as engaged with the, with the actual broadcast. You, you get a lot of people who are watching the game, but also following social media. So I, I just feel like those broadcasts have changed a little bit to try and respond to that. And, you know, viewership, I know the NFL is king and has been doing well in viewership, but viewership for some of this stuff has, has declined a little bit. And so I think that they're trying to do different things to grab people. It's not the classic, you know, color commentator and play-by-play guy. I think some guys in, in these days, guys kind of are trying to blend roles a little bit. And, and I think that it's changed the, the nature of those broadcasts. Especially in the NFL this year, it seems like everyone has taken uh... – big paydays to go elsewhere, move to different time slots, different networks. And Chris Collinsworth just remains on Sunday night football. It feels like a big primetime game when you hear his voice. Um, It's one of, he's got one of those comforting voices that you're used to in a time slot. And he just does a great job every week. Um, I don't know what else you could need from a broadcaster. I do think broadly speaking, there isn't that much room for nuance when it comes to color commentating for whatever reason. I couldn't explain to you exactly why, but it's much easier to be known as a very bad color commentator than it is to be known as a good one. And I think that everybody just accepts that the good ones are good and there isn't a lot that they can do to elevate themselves because color commentating is kind of a spot gig throughout the broadcast. It's about knowing when not to talk as much as it is knowing when to speak. So that makes it tough, I think, for guys who are already in that upper tier to elevate into the highest eight. It makes it tough for guys who are in that upper tier to elevate themselves above their peers. And for Collinsworth specifically, when you are new, like there's a pretty crowded field of in-game analysts who are trying to stake their claim to it by trying too hard. Collinsworth's gift is just being himself and he's folksy and he's colloquial. And he's in a lot of ways, he's a, he was Tony Romo before Tony Romo. Tony Romo kind of built that charm on the back of what Collinsworth has been doing for a long time. And he's blessed that he can just be himself. And he has that capital with us that we're not like, oh, this person is trying too hard to stand out, make a name for themselves, make a headline or be intentionally incendiary just uh, to get engagement. Opposite is true, I think, in best play-by-play announcer, crowded field, tough one to call. We nominated Lisa Byington, who has been doing work for Big Ten Network for a long time. She does the Milwaukee Bucks, a trailblazer in a lot of ways. She's fantastic. She's always in control. The moment never gets too big for her. She's not trying to make it about herself her genuine excitement for what's happening and capturing the moment. Like she's very skilled 
at knowing exactly what level to go to for an 8-0 run or what level to go to for a second quarter dunk, what level to go to in the last seconds of a game when everything is on the line. She has that innate ability where she makes it feel so easy and it feels like a comfortable companion for where you're going. I'm going to pose a debate between two of our other finalists who did not win because often we think of them in the same way. I want to go around and have you pick one between Kevin Harlan and Ian Eagle. That's so hard, Kyle. Come on. It's <laughs> oh man. That's a tough one. I, I I will go with Kevin Harlan right now, but I you know tomorrow you ask me it'll be Ian Eagle. I'm a big Ian Eagle guy personally. I just I love Kevin Harlan as much as everybody else loves Kevin Harlan, but Ian Eagle has Perhaps, I don't know if I would call it a more unique voice, but his calls have a tendency to stay in my mind in a way that very few other play-by-play announcers are capable of doing. And it is often on the most mundane of plays. It doesn't need to be uh, an epic game-winning shot or a field goal for him to make a call that I will remember for a long time. I guess I would have to go with Kevin Harlan. Just the way that his calls... Just the way Kevin Harlan's calls seem to elevate anything. You know, it's it's just so funny because they are different, but I think of them in the same way. Obviously, Eagle is going to be taking over the Final Four call for CBS. I think when you look at both their ability to do basketball and football at that level is pretty special. You've seen that, and this is such a deep and rich and talented field like we could have mentioned Adam Amin. We could have mentioned Jason Benetti. I think that we're living through the golden age of announcers. Yes. Well, we added, we choice. nominated Joe Buck who won last year. He didn't win this year. I mean. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Like this field is magnificently deep. And I, I find like, there's a great debate. Like people say it doesn't matter who's calling the game. People are going to tune in no matter what. But I think that that misses the point because the quality of these broadcasts, I'll stick with a game that's not that good because the announcers are excellent. They're distracting me from the fact that the game's not that good. And it feels important. Everything feels like it has stakes. And you know that around the corner, there's going to be this call that captivates you. So I disagree with that. I understand like what the empirical data says, but there's a reason why these salaries have exploded and there's been an arms race for them. But our winner, again, Mike Breen. Yeah, this is the kind of thing where you don't know what you got till it's gone, I think. And, and Mike Breen maybe slides under the radar a little bit because he's so consistently good and been good, been good for so long doing, doing the NBA on, on ABC. Uh, and then this year he tested positive for COVID-19 and missed game seven of the Eastern Conference final and the first two games of the NBA finals. And, and look, Mark Jones did a fine job filling in, but he wasn't Mike Breen and, and we, we missed it. And I, I think that that sort of made everybody realize just how good the 61 year old Breen is at what he does. He's so smooth. He's a phenomenal broadcaster and he's just done it for so long. It, he had, he had a streak of, of calling 91 consecutive finals games before he had to sit out with COVID. You know, we all know the the bang call. We all know all of that. But he's just so good at, at sort of 
navigating the circus that can be an NBA basketball game with so much going on with, with, with these athletes that are just so unbelievable and not letting the moment be too big for him. He has never, he's, we've never had to worry about that with him. Uh, I, I just think that him not being there for two games just revealed just how good he is because you did, you, you mentioned it, you know, Kyle, it can be hard to stand out on these broadcasts, but when somebody is gone and you feel their presence missing, you know just how important they are to the product. His pacing is so good. So um, good. It's always under control. It reminds me a little bit of Doc Emmerich. I think that they are the two best in terms of this happened, then that happened, now this is happening. Yeah, you know, that is like they build to a crescendo. I would quibble a little bit. I, I didn't think Mark Jones was very good. In the NBA. I thought he was. I thought he was serviceable. I, it didn't stand out as as bad necessarily. I think he was bad in comparison to Mike Breen. It gave Mark Jackson a bigger share of that broadcast, which is not good. I think the fact that Breen makes the NBA Finals feel like everything the NBA Finals feels like, despite the Mark Jackson of it all kind of being like his snare drum, it is a testament to his greatness. And let's hope that that never happens again. Uh, I want to see this guy calling games until he's in his nineties and he might, I hope he does. Yeah. I think Breen might have an argument to earn this award simply off the back of being able to navigate the extremely long diatribes that Mark Jackson and JVG tend to ramble on about in the middle of a broadcast. He brings them back to uh, Main Street every single time, and it really is quite remarkable at this point. And now the moment six of you have been waiting for. Sports Personality of the Year. Now, I think before we get into this, we should talk about what Sports Personality of the Year means to us. Obviously, you have to be skilled and good at what you do. Obviously, you need to have been in the news for a major event. Obviously, you need to read engagement. It doesn't necessarily mean that you had the best year. It just means that you had a notable year and that your position in sports media sent ripple effects out both for your company and companies at large, and you captured the audience's attention. So with all that preamble, let's get to the nominees. Pat McAfee, as we said before, this guy does everything. He's going to be a billionaire. He wrestles ESPN college game day. He's doing that now. He's got the radio show. He's got everything else. Uh, we're all either going to be working for him or dead by his hand in five years. I think that there's been a level of maturity on display from him, which is not something that you would think maybe two years ago when you talked about Pat McAfee, he felt like he had a high ceiling, but he was pretty raw. But I think the decisions that he's making and the infrastructure he's building around himself is quite impressive and pretends what's going to be, I don't know, the next, three decades of him being almost anywhere we turn our TV on. Yeah. I feel like that he's the next guy to create a network that's going to be under him or something. I, I like, he just keeps expanding and keeps doing it. And by the way, he does a great show every single day as well. So I, I, I just think that he's a guy creating an empire. 
and it, it continues to grow. And, you know, this, it was very tough to not give this award to him this year. He gave plenty of reasons to give this award to him and, and we went another way, but he's certainly, uh, he, you know, on the radar for next year as well. He's just incredibly unique. Uh, there's no one like him. He has uh, unmatched energy, um, so much so that he cannot sit down while he talks or even listens. Uh, he is adverse to sleeves, but he is constantly getting great interviews and putting out content that makes people uh, interested. We sometimes don't appreciate enough how hard it was for McAfee to come onto the scene and break into the studio show media realm only a couple of years ago. And and he's already changed the standards for what athlete interviews can be. You know, we've talked about Aaron Rodgers and everybody knows that, but everybody who comes on McAfee's show gives him quotes that they would never give most other reporters. And maybe that isn't replicable. Maybe what McAfee is truly just a one of a kind and has a, you know, the rapport of a former player and the respect of a former player that guys uh, who work for ESPN or Fox Sports or anything like that can't replicate. But it doesn't change that what he's done is pretty, pretty nuts for a guy who's only been in this industry for a couple of years now. He bridged the gap between Barstool and the mainstream, and they figured out that, hey, we can get that audience without some of the headaches, and this is what it looks like. And I think in a lot of ways, he's kind of put the governor on another Barstool personality doing that and rising to that level for better or worse. Sage Steele, controversial figure, but was a major factor in how we looked at ESPN this year. She's currently suing the network. That litigation is open. Sage Steele's conservative politics have been at the forefront for years now. She's currently doing the Noon Sports Center. Her role has been reduced. She used to be at the NBA Finals. She has seen a reduction in that. You don't see a lot of discussion about her. And I don't really want to make any value judgments about what's going on because that's for courts to decide. But I have to say, I think that what she's doing is impressive from the stance, from the sense that she's standing up for what she believes in. And she's taking on a huge corporate entity and she's still going to work while all this is playing out. So we can argue about the motivations and what she's trying to do. But the fact that she's still there in a world where so many conservative pundits have gone out and largely succeeded in in capturing that audience on their own terms. She's decided, no, I'm going to stay at ESPN and be me. And it's something that is going to go on and be a little bit awkward until there's some resolution. But Sage Steele was certainly not, not in the headlines this year. Yeah. Whether we agree with her stances or not, the fact that, you know, she's certainly been newsworthy. And, And I look at this award as, a lot of it is newsworthiness and contributions, and, and she, very few people were as newsworthy for as important uh, a reason as Sage Steele this year, just because, I mean, people don't take on ESPN, and she's done it, and she's continuing to work there, and, and that, I think, is, is fascinating, uh, that dynamic, and, and we'll see how that all plays out. And, that may not be the case for much longer, or she could wind up being there for another 10 years, but uh it is certainly different uh, to see this situation play out. And I wonder 
do you guys think this will be the last fight of the kind that ESPN faces, or do you think that there'll be there'll always be a new Sage Steel for ESPN to figure out how to coexist with? I think there'll be large gaps between them, but I think that this will continue to happen, of course. Yeah, it's like Ryan said, nobody takes on ESPN, and now she is doing that, and that sets a certain standard. I think the situation has probably taught ESPN a lot about uh, how to go about certain things, and they will, I don't imagine there will be a one-to-one, you know, replica of this situation, but I do think that in the, you know, broader picture, if it happened once, it can happen again. It's an interesting question. Um, the way things have been going lately, you wonder that five, ten years down the road, if any conservative sports fan, I mean, growing up there ten years ago, even now their goal is to get on ESPN. But you wonder if they will just decide that they don't want to work for the woke mouse and they will immediately start to uh try and go to fox sports or some some other new uh conservative sports network that could pop up yeah the whole debate is almost quaint because four or five years ago this was something that we were dealing with and hearing about every single day and i don't know if we've just put our blinders on and and checked out from it but it seems to have simmered down and yet there's never been an occasion where like the call is coming from inside the house the person who's currently building that house and additions onto that house and is on television 36 hours a day is Stephen A. Smith. Um, you could probably give this award to him every year. We did not select him this year, but Stephen A. Smith is doing everything and he's gladly doing everything. He has found every available outlet for his opinion. He has long been the most important voice at the most important place in sports. And I think that this year we've only seen him put his foot on the accelerator and embrace that honor and kind of turn wrestling heel in a lot of ways. But this reality is almost incomprehensible considering that several years ago, his role there was shuffled to the side and he was not seen as the future of the network. Then first take comes along, explodes, changes everything. They've decided to put their highest profile talent on their highest profile properties like the NBA. What do we make of Stephen A. Smith? I, I Let me pose it this way. Is he the biggest star ESPN has ever had? I think it's, it's hard to argue against that, certainly. Um, he transcends it a little bit, and that is hard to do at a place like ESPN. Um, I, I do think he is as big as it's ever gotten. I think you could you could argue at the time the Oberman-Dan Patrick duo was maybe got more news nationally just because there was so little competition. But Stephen A. Smith is, as, as a singular entity, I think is bigger than anything they've ever had. I mean, what's who's, who's the other choice? Maybe Chris Berman? as like the biggest ESPN star. That's who I would have said, yeah. But Chris Berman was famous for just uh, you know, sports center and football and he's just on ESPN a few hours a week. Um Stephen A Smith is off ESPN a few hours a week. 
And on those few hours, he is uh, recording podcasts and doing radio hits. He just doesn't stop. He is everywhere. He, I mean, in the last month, we've seen him on Fox News. We've seen him on independent podcasts. He's been talking about his sex life. He's been talking about sports. There's literally, he's been talking about politics and being afraid of getting canceled. There's just nobody bigger than Stephen A. Smith. He is ESPN right now. Through the lens, through the modern lens of what a star is, I think absolutely just because you slap Stephen A. Smith's name on literally anything and it will drive more engagement, more views, more clicks than any other personality at the company right now. And like Stephen mentioned, he's now starting slowly to branch out and is, you know, doing a lot of stuff outside of ESPN. He's writing a memoir which is going to be fascinating reading for all sorts of reasons. So he's definitely the biggest star ESPN has ever had to me. And I think that as far as uh, the future goes, his star might be somehow only on the rise. Our second to last nominee is Al Michaels. And he is on here because Amazon got the NFL. It feels to me that in the time that's passed since this debuted, it's become less of a story, but if you hit the rewind machine a few months ago, all anybody was talking about was Amazon and what type of ratings they were going to get. And they decided to swing big and take him from NBC. They were going to build this thing around him. And I think when we first started debating this award, and you'll see who the winner is here and, and understand why we selected that over Al Michaels, but we're on the train of thought and that the NFL is king, that it does rule all. I think that largely what he's done has landed with a slight thud. I have been nonplussed by his broadcast, frankly, his disinterest in some of the bad games that have been appearing on Thursday night. He doesn't seem to be this megawatt star that maybe Amazon expected they were going to get or the splash or the waves or at least the conversation that they hoped to garner. But it was on paper the move to solidify them and say, look, we're real. We're serious about this. We want to eventually get the Super Bowl. And we understand in order to do that, we have to swing for the fences. What do we make of Al Michaels' year, both through the transaction side and then the actual performance on our streaming services every Thursday? I mean, as noteworthy as anything that's happened this year was Al Michaels leaving NBC and going to Amazon and sort of blazing that trail. Uh, I know I'm sure they pile a dump truck of money up in front of him, but it, it's, it, it was an interesting choice to move on from the comfort of NBC and go do something else. Uh, I agree that I think that it's actually been made him more newsworthy that things haven't gone incredibly smoothly. I think that that elevates uh, for what this award is. I think that elevates it. Uh, but you're right. I think that at the time, everybody talking about Amazon and what they're going to do, and they're putting together this loaded team to do these games. And really what we're talking about now isn't that team or that investment or whatever. It's can they get some good games to for these people to work? And it's not their fault. It's not the people who are working there's fault. It's just the nature of Thursday night football has usually been pretty bad football because you have a couple days to practice before you get to go and teams aren't as prepared. And I just think that it really has uh, made it more newsworthy that, that this has been a struggle for them a little 
bit and the ratings are down and all of that stuff. And Al Michaels is at the center of it. And, and he's the guy who, who blazed the trail to go over there. And, and now is, is sort of dealing with the fallout a little bit. Um, but I agree with what you said, Kyle. It does feel a little bit different. To build off that point a little bit, I think that whether or not Al Michaels was going to be good in this gig didn't matter that much because we were all going to view the success or failure of this broadcast through the lens of Al Michaels. He was the biggest story in sports media. He dominated headlines from uh, the Super Bowl last year until, you know, the summer when he signed his contract. He's the, and he's such a, like big figure in sports broadcasting is the guy who, you know, worked with John Madden at the end of his days and then passed carried over to Chris Collinsworth and worked for over 10 years together at NBC. And so he's just such a big name that that was always going to transcend the quality of the broadcast because it's Al Michaels. And now we are going to be, now we're talking about it, uh, about, now we're talking about the quality of the broadcast through how Al Michaels is performing, and that would have been the case even if he was doing great. Right now, I think it's hard to argue that he's having a great time out there, which is affecting his broadcasting because the game stink. He doesn't seem interested. He has taken a lot of shots at the schedule makers in the NFL for putting these games on Thursday night. But as far as the criteria for this particular award, it's impossible not to include him because he's all anybody talked about for you know half the calendar year this year. When Amazon got football, they needed to make a big splash. So they went out and got one of the greatest announcers that's ever lived. Um, they're giving him a million dollars a game, basically. And he's calling games that half the people in America don't have access to because they either don't have Amazon Prime or don't know how to set it up on their TV like my father. The games are going to be inherently bad because Thursday night football should not exist before Thanksgiving. It's a bad idea. It used to be a special thing uh, when there would be late season Thursday games. And now they're just putting games that turn out to be bad every week. And you've got a 78 year old Al Michaels calling a game with someone he has no uh, chemistry with and Kirk Herbstreet and who has never called NFL football before. So he's in an impossible position, but he's very well compensated for it. So if he's acting as disinterested in the games as the fans are, then that's his right, and Amazon's getting what they're paying for. But they also get to say we have Al Michaels. So we thought that Al Michaels was going to be the story of this year, but for the reasons we just laid out, he wasn't. Because... On the heels came larger news and bigger names and something that had a cascading effect. Joe Buck leaving Fox's number one football booth empty, leaving Fox to find a replacement for the World Series, which would eventually become Joe Davis, but completely transforming Monday Night Football, which has been the redheaded stepchild of football broadcast for several years, uh, a million iteration, iter a million iterations. That didn't work. Um, it was a property that felt like it had lost its luster in the minds of many. Uh, it was a punching bag. And then boom, immediately, you have the best booth in football. You have an opportunity to start over again. You have an opportunity to restore it to its former glory. And most importantly, 
you have a real good sales pitch for Disney to get that Super Bowl, which is the only thing they care about. Monumental. And that's why they're the winners. And the broadcasts have been fantastic this year. They're the same comfort food that you enjoyed so many Sunday evenings, only on Monday night with your rowdy friends. And I think that it's changed the conversation dramatically because not only was it a huge gain for ESPN, Fox just doesn't hit the way it used to. That Tony Romo booth with Jim Nance is feeling a little tired. And almost overnight, the landscape shifts and Monday Night Football becomes the center once again. And it's gone so smoothly. So for those reasons, they're the personality of the year. Two people for one job, but they work in concert. Let's open up the floor to all things Joe Buck and Troy Aikman related. Yeah, the thing that was the most monumental to me is not only do you get the best football booth automatically to ESPN, they had been looking for a Monday night football booth forever. And Monday night football hasn't had that marquee booth since Al Michaels, Frank Gifford, and Dan Deardorff were doing it. I mean, they, they, it, you know, the, the John Gruden years were okay, but it was never that shining diamond of a broadcast. And ESPN, as you said, had tried several different iterations, had been searching for it. And this is ESPN's marquee broadcast property. You know, I mean, ESPN, you probably, the, the mainstream probably associates it most closely with SportsCenter and some of their talk shows. But they have one broadcast property that is the crown jewel of their empire, and it's Monday Night Football. And they had nothing going on there broadcast-wise. They didn't have broadcasters. They had people who tried their best and did pretty good and are solid broadcasters. But they didn't have that marquee booth. And now they do. And, and we know from reporting on it the, over the years that they tried to get guys like Peyton Manning, and they tried to throw tons of money at Tony Romo, and they tried – that was all, as you said, in an effort to get that marquee booth so that they could pitch for a Super Bowl. Well, now they got it. And 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 that changes the game for sports media in general. Plus, you look at the amount of money these guys got and all of that. Again, it's paradigm shifting and taking the two best guys at Fox. Not one, like, you know, Amazon took NBC's lead broadcasters, you mentioned, and Al Michaels, and then had to find somebody to pair them with. They took the whole booth and they immediately put it in. And as you said, those guys have worked together for so long. It was a smooth transition. Nothing's changed. They're just that good. And you wrote about this early in the year, Kyle, is that when Joe Buck does a broadcast, when Troy Aikman does a broadcast, it feels important. It doesn't matter who's playing. Those guys make it feel important and make it feel real. And so this was certainly the biggest move of the year. It was certainly the biggest change of the year in sports media. And I don't think there's any question that those two guys deserve the sports uh, media personality of the year because they left something that was comfortable to do something ambitious and it's working out for everybody involved. And you mentioned Kyle, the cascading effect that this move had, there were rumblings that Aikman might leave, but I think everybody believed Joe Buck was at Fox for 
probably the rest of his career. And he's only in his fifties. He has a long, long time in the broadcasting realm left. If he wants to do it, him leaving forced Fox to find a new number one booth for this year and Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. And they're pretty good. Fox has something there. It forced them to elevate Joe Davis, which I think was maybe a movement that was going to be made a couple of years down the road anyway, but they thrust them into the spotlight probably sooner than anybody expected. And he was awesome this year. So they found somebody there. It definitely played a part in some capacity in their decision to throw a lot of money at Tom Brady, which changed the sports media landscape on its own, as we previously discussed. And that's just on the Fox side. Ryan said it reset the standard for broadcast salaries. ESPN is going to get a Super Bowl at this point, and it will end up being one of the better ones because of the quality of the booth. They're just so many different things that Troy Aikman and Joe Buck changed significantly in their decision to leave Fox for ESPN. And when you take kind of the big, you know, big picture to look at this award, it's for individuals who alter the landscape as we know it. And I don't know how you can look at this and not come to that conclusion. With Buck and Aikman, uh, ESPN got, as we've mentioned, they got the the booth they were looking for. Buck and Aikman individually might not be the best play-by-play guy and the best color commentator, but combined, they are the best booth. They've been that way for years. Um, Joe Buck is 10 years younger than Jim Nance. He's a quarter century younger than Al Michaels, who is making as much for Amazon as Joe Buck is making at ESPN. ESPN now has one of the best play-by-play guys ever. Uh, he's versatile. They He is still young. Who knows what he will do in the future? Um, they can do any sport. He can do uh, a Super Bowl. And all those little projects that people love to work, work on, all the things that they want to produce, uh, he can now do that with ESPN. To think that Amazon might have had a shot at that is sad for Amazon, but maybe Buck just wanted to work on Monday Night Football because it's so much better than Thursday Night Football. And Aikman is just so good with him. You were never going to have another conversation about what ESPN is going to do about Monday Night Football next year. Um, As long as Buck and Aikman are there, they are all set. And we're not going to have to say, uh, what can they do? Who can can run the booger mobile? Um, That stuff is done. And oh, booger mobile, and they're that good. And they can also have alternate broadcasts with Payne and Eli Manning, which everybody loves, but nobody watches. And they've just got they've got the most important football property locked down with the perfect booth. So there's it's the ideal situation for ESPN. It was huge news when it happened. That's why they're the sports personalities of the year. And it's still huge news. It's a move that I don't think has precedent. And it was something that nobody saw coming because we, you know, there's so many articles of speculation and discussion about what's going to happen. And then you sit here when all the chess pieces have moved and you've been like, well, well, wait, wait, you know, like, well, what, what happened? Like now ESPN is better suited than all the other networks. You throw in the Manning cast, which we are not the biggest fans of, but I think that we admit that, I mean, it's pretty brilliant uh, in terms of like 
the capabilities of doing what needs to be done in the streaming era. Like they have the best alternate broadcasts in addition to the best regular presentation. It's, I mean, when you talk about NFL ratings, which we're loath to do, but 98 out of a hundred top things on television are the NFL. Like it's just, it's impossible to overstate how important this was how surprising it was. If you were to get in time machine and tell us all, we'd be sitting here in a year uh, after now getting used to the fact that this is what ESPN looks like right now. It will be felt for years to come, years to come and reshuffling and, and reimagining what the other networks are going to do. So in retrospect, it was an easy choice. We believe it's the correct one. Thank you so much for listening to our long-winded podcast about the 2022 Big Lead Sports Media Awards. Uh, we now begin the process of consuming a lot of content and forming opinions for 2023. I would be shocked if something this surprising happened next year, but that's why we watch.